Tonight, we continue our journey to the cross, commemorating the road to humanity's renewal. We remember a Thursday filled with Jesus' humility and service, a Thursday fraught with his suffering and betrayal. Tonight, we reaffirm that we are God's covenant people, a people ready to be freed from slavery, the slavery of sin, of oppression, of self-disqualification. Tonight, we are a people who come not with unclean feet, but with unclean hearts. Tonight, we come to be cleansed by the water of your word and the blood of our Savior. Let us declare our need for forgiveness and for cleansing. Jesus, our hearts are dirty from the journey. We have not loved one another. We have not loved you as you have loved us. Selfishness and indifference stain our hearts and lives, and we desire to be clean. We see the table there, but who will make us clean and ready for the meal? Where will we find water for our soiled souls? We look nowhere but to you, Lord. Help us, forgive us, cleanse us, restore us. Let us pray. Ever gracious God, we gather this evening as friends gathered with Jesus in an upper room over 2,000 years ago. We come bearing the marks and burdens of a bitter and broken world. We come from anonymous places and anonymous spaces with dry and thirsty spirits. 
Remind us in the breaking of bread of our need and of your great sufficiency. Refresh us and make us whole with a cup of forgiveness. Draw us nearer to each other in mutual service and closer to you in the covenant of faithfulness and thanksgiving. And God, as his night advances, deepen in us a sense of your steadfast love for us through Jesus Christ, our friend, our Lord, and our Redeemer. Oh God, forgive us for the many ways that we have betrayed Jesus, your son, by selfishly pursuing our own agendas. For when Judas went out that door, a part of each of us went with Judas. For we have all betrayed Jesus in one way or another. Oh God, forgive us for the many ways that we have scorned Jesus, your light, by sitting instead of serving others. For when the disciples sat unmoving at the table, each waiting for the other to wash their feet, a part of each one of us sat there with them. For we have all sat unmoving, waiting for someone else to do what we should be doing ourselves. Oh God, forgive us for the many ways that we have rejected Jesus, your gift. For when Peter did not want Jesus to wash his feet, a part of each one of us joined him in that rejection. For we have all resisted the new hierarchy of Jesus, where those who are the greatest become the loving servants to all. And oh God, forgive us for immobility, for our fear. Help us again return to you by following Jesus who leads us to hope, to forgiveness, and to eternal life. And the church said together, Amen. Monday, Thursday, occasion. When we consider the road to Calvary, a number of events occur on this Thursday before Jesus is crucified. Jesus shares a final meal with his disciples. Jesus washes the disciples' feet and institutes the Lord's Supper. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane while the disciples fall asleep, and Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. Even as Jesus and his disciples came together to share the Passover meal, they stood in the shadow of the cross. It would be later that night, after the meal, after Jesus sweats, drops of blood in the garden, that Jesus would be arrested and taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. On Friday, he would die. Traditionally in the Christian church, this day is known as Monday Thursday. The term Monday comes from the Latin word mandatum, from which we get our English word mandate, from a verb that means to give, to entrust, or to order. However, that term is usually translated commandment. From John's account of this Thursday night, According to John 13, 34 through 35 verses, the 35th verse, after the Lord's Supper is completed, Jesus and the disciples walk into the night headed toward Jerusalem, towards Gethsemane. 
Jesus then teaches his disciples a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, by love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This sharing of the Lord's Supper is the primary means by which most Christians observe Monday Thursday. Royal purple, the traditional color of Lent, drapes both the table and the pulpit. After the Lord's Supper is served, we will strip these vestments, symbolizing the abandonment of Jesus by his disciples and Jesus being stripped by Roman soldiers prior to his crucifixion. On this Monday Thursday, as like every Monday Thursday over the past 2,000 years, as Christians gather, we do so with an acute awareness of Jesus' servanthood, his suffering, his sacrifice, as our Lord travels the road to Calvary.
Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. The first homily tonight we want to use as a subject, he washed their feet. In this action, Jesus provides a picture for us of what his will is for our lives. As the time of his suffering drew near, he does something with his disciples to help them understand the full extent and purpose of his ministry. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around himself, filled a basin with water, and began to wash their feet. Foot washing was common in those days because there were few paved roads in Palestine. It was common that when guests came into a home, the servant of the house would bring a basin of water and wash the dust-covered feet of the guests. But here we see Jesus, the head of the table, the guest of honor, assuming the role of the servant and going person to person, washing their feet. What message was Jesus trying to give to his disciples? What message is there in this for us? Jesus was showing us that to really make a difference, to really make the gospel relevant in the lives of people, we have to come down from our places of honor and position, and we must be willing to wash feet. We must be willing to serve. What motivated Jesus to do this? When, when we discover that motivation, it should motivate us also. Jesus was motivated by time constraints. He knew that his hour had come. It would not be very long before he would be taken away, and his suffering for our sin would begin. And just like Jesus, we ought to be motivated by the constraints of time. Right now, all of us are undergoing constraints of presence, constraints of gathering, but we're also under constraints of time. If nothing else, this pandemic has vividly reminded us that time is a precious and fleeting thing. And the more time we let slip by, 
before we seek to serve one another, the more opportunities we miss to make a difference for Jesus in the lives of people. More than the constraints of time, Jesus was motivated by love. John says that he did this to show his disciples the full extent of his love. His love is so great that there is nothing that he would not do for them. The love Jesus had for his disciples is the love he desires that we have for one another to the utmost. If we are to model his service, we must be motivated by his love. A third thing we can see in, in this picture is that Jesus understood that service is stronger than satanic power. When we serve, when we reach out to meet the needs of others in the name of Jesus, we are resisting the devil and we are staking our claim on this community and those who dwell therein as being God's precious possession and Satan can't have them. Jesus wanted to show us how to use divine authority. John says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his hands. He knew that despite appearances, he was fully in charge of what was about to happen. But my friends, authority is no good unless you know how to use it. Just look at Donald Trump. Many want authority, but they fail to recognize that a commitment to service must accompany authority for it to be relevant. What the Father placed in Jesus' hands, Jesus has in turn placed in our hands. We are authorized to speak in his name. We are authorized to offer comfort in his name. We are authorized to uplift in his name. But none of that carries any weight unless we're also willing to serve in his name. Remember, this same master said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. Well, finally, and perhaps most pragmatically, Jesus did this because no one else was willing to do it. Clearly, someone else should have done this job. The, the owner's servants should have done it. The disciples could have done it. Someone else could have done it. Anyone else could have done it. But no one else was willing. Peter got angry about it. But Peter wasn't willing to do it. The other disciples were confused by it, but none of them were willing. The job needed to be done, and Jesus wasn't going to just wait and see if someone else would step forward and do it. He decided he would do it himself. My brothers and sisters, if we don't serve the present age, who will? If we don't model Christian service, who 
will. Our communities need disciples who will do more than just say that Jesus is bread in a starving land, but will make the effort to put bread on people's tables and clothes on their backs. We need disciples who will show people Christ by washing feet. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you gave them to me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. If we don't do it, who will? The call of Christ is a call of service. We're called to serve our present age, and we can't shirk in our responsibility because Jesus didn't shirk in his responsibility.
Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. Read, taking bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. He did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. The second homily, we invite you to think with us simply about the Lord's Supper. Jesus and his disciples are gathered in the upper room to celebrate Passover, to celebrate what God did for the children of Israel while they were in bondage in Egypt. The celebration goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 11, where we read how God gave instruction to the people to stay within the walls of their homes, to spread lamb's blood on their doorposts, so that when the angel of death came to take the firstborn of the land, he would pass over them and all in the house would be safe. God instructed Moses that a meal should be prepared and that all in the house should share in that meal. It was a particular meal, roasted lamb, lamb made without spot or blemish, which symbolized the sacrifice being made to God to atone for sin. Unleavened bread, bread without yeast, symbolizing God's providential care and the haste with which God's people were to move after Pharaoh let them go. Bitter herbs, which symbolized the fact that the long, bitter years of bondage were about to come to an end. And God decreed that Every year, his people would come together and share in this special meal to remember from where he had brought them. In his taking of the Passover meal, Jesus was identifying with the past. But now he's ready to turn his attention to the future. Passover symbolized the law of Moses but Jesus came to usher in the law of love. Passover symbolized God above us, but Jesus personified God with us. Passover symbolized what God had done, but Jesus symbolizes what the Lord will do. When the Passover had done all that it could, we were still lost. We were still in our sin. We were still blind. But Jesus came to find those that were lost. He came to give sight to those that were blind. He came to take our sin away. And for what Jesus was about to do, the Passover was not an adequate symbol. A new symbol was necessary, a symbol of a second Passover, a symbol of a better Passover. The first Passover identified us with escape from physical death, but the second Passover identifies us with our escape from spiritual death, for Jesus was about to take away the sin of the world. 
So when the Passover was complete, Jesus instituted a second meal. He took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Then he took the cup and said, This is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And he said, Do this in remembrance of me. We should understand what Jesus meant by in remembrance of him. When we come to the Lord's supper table, we should identify with Jesus's suffering. Jesus didn't go to Calvary for himself. He didn't suffer for himself. He suffered for you and for me. They broke his body for you and for me. They whipped his back for you and for me. They struck him and spat on him for you and for me. They mocked him and railed on him for you and for me. They hammered nails into his hands and into his feet for you and for me. They pressed a crown of thorns into his brow for you and for me. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the shedding of innocent blood. The Lord's Supper reminds me that salvation is not free, but that Jesus paid the price. And so as I approach the table, the first thing I say is thank God for his suffering. And then when we remember, we have to identify with Jesus's love. There's a reason why Jesus did all of this. There's a reason why he suffered in my place. And that reason is simple. It's because he loves me. Every time we come to this table, we should remember that God loves us. In spite of what others may think about us, in spite of what some folk may do to us, in spite of what circumstances come into our lives, God loves us. We need to know that. For that love helps us get through the rough spots in our lives. That love helps us to hold on through danger, toil, and snare. That love reminds us that we are never alone. That love encourages us to trust in the Lord with our whole heart and lean not to our own understanding. Finally, in the Lord's Supper, we identify with a future beyond this life. Every other symbol in our lives stops on this side. Academic degrees are supposed to symbolize how much we know. But education stops on this side. Financial portfolios symbolize our worth, but money can't help us on the other side. Serving in civic organizations symbolizes our standing in the community, but that can't help us on the other side. The only thing we can boast about is Jesus. The only thing we can boast about is that we're his and he is ours. The only thing we can boast about is what he did for us when we could do nothing for ourselves. It's our identification with his suffering and with his sacrifice 
and with his death that now draws us to his table. Eternal God, as we prepare to approach your table on this night, this night that is filled not just with physical darkness, but with spiritual darkness. We come, dear God, mindful of your love for us, mindful of your suffering in our place, and mindful of the future that you have prepared for us. We thank you, dear God, that you were willing to go our price, that you were willing to pay our ransom. And we never have to question whether or not you love us because we know the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. As we take of this bread and of this wine, may it serve as moments of rededication, recommitment in our own lives that we would seek to be better stewards of your gospel in the future than we have been in the past. We ask in humbly, in the name of your son Jesus, and for his sake we pray, amen. Let us approach the Lord's table. On the night before he was to suffer while in the upper room with his disciples, the Lord Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. In a like manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death and suffering until he comes. In that spirit, in that memory, let us now eat and drink together. The scripture says that after the meal was completed, they sang a hymn as they went out to the Mount of Olives. May the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest 
rule and abide with us now, henceforth, and forevermore. Amen.